What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Chapter 16 of The Wolf Leader by Alexander Dumas, translated by Alfred Allenson, 1852 to 1929. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter 16 my lady's lady thibault was delighted at seeing what had happened to the young baron whose hand anything but light had so shortly before made use of his whip on thibault's shoulders which still smarted with the blow the latter now ran at full speed to see how far monsieur raoul de varparfond was injured he found a body lying insensible stretched across the road with the horse standing and snorting beside it but Thibault could hardly believe his senses on perceiving that the figure lying in the road was not the same as had but five minutes previously ridden past him and given him the lash with the whip. In the first place his figure was not in the dress of a gentleman but clothed like a peasant, and what was more the clothes he had on seemed to Thibault to be the same as he himself had been wearing only a moment before. His surprise increased more and more and amounted almost to stupefaction on further recognizing in the inert unconscious figure not only his own clothes but his own face his astonishment naturally led him to turn his eyes from this second thibault to his own person when he became aware that an equally remarkable change had come over his costume instead of shoes and gaiters his legs were now encased in an elegant pair of hunting boots reaching to the knee as soft and smooth as a pair of silk stockings with a roll over the instep and finished off with a pair of fine silver spurs. The knee-breeches were no longer of corduroy, but of the most beautiful buckskin, fastened with little gold buckles. His long, coarse, olive-colored coat was replaced by a handsome green hunting-coat, with gold lace facings thrown open to display a waistcoat of fine white jean, while over the artistically pleated shirt hung the soft, wavy folds of a cambric cravat. Not a single article of dress about him but had been transformed, even to his old lantern-shaped hat, which was now a three-cornered one, trimmed with gold lace to match the coat. The stick also, such as workmen carry, partly for walking and partly for self-defense, and which he had been holding in his hand a minute before, had now given place to a light whip, with which he gave a cut through the air, listening with a sense of aristocratic pleasure to the whistling sound it made. And finally his slender figure was drawn in at the waist by a belt, from which hung a hunting-knife, half-sword, half-dagger. Thibault was pleased beyond measure at finding himself clothed in such a delightful costume, and with a feeling of vanity, natural under the circumstances, he was overcome with the desire to ascertain without delay how the dress suited his face. But where could he go to look at himself out there in the midst of pitch darkness? Then, looking about him, he saw that he was only a stone's throw from his own hut. Ah! 
To be sure, he said, nothing easier, for I have my glass there. And he made haste towards his hut, intending like Narcissus to enjoy his own beauty and peace and all to himself. But the door of the hut was locked, and Thibault felt vainly for the key. All he could find in his pockets was a well-fitted purse, a sweetmeat box containing scented lozenges, and a little mother-of-pearl and gold penknife. What could he have done then with his door-key? Then suddenly a bright thought occurred to him. Possibly the key was in the pocket of that other Thibault, who was lying out there in the road. He went back and felt in the breech's pocket, where he discovered the key at once, in company with a few sous. Holding the rough, clumsy thing in the tips of his fingers, he returned to open the door. The inside of the hut was even darker than the night outside, and Thibault groped about to find the steel, the tinder and flint, and the matches, and then proceeded to try and light the candle, which consisted of an end stuck into an empty bottle. In a second or two this was accomplished, but in the course of the operation Thibault was obliged to take hold of the candle with his fingers. Pah! he said. What pigs these peasants are! I wonder how they can live in this dirty sort of way! However, the candle was a light, which was the chief matter, and Thibault now took down his mirror and, bringing it to the light, looked at himself in it. His eye had scarcely caught sight of the reflected image, then he uttered a cry of astonishment. It was no longer himself that he saw, or rather, although it was still Thibault in spirit, it was no longer Thibault in body. His spirit had entered into the body of a handsome young man of twenty-five or twenty-six years of age, with blue eyes, pink fresh cheeks, red lips, and white teeth. In short, it had entered into the body of the Baron Raoul de Valparfond. Then Thibault recalled the wish that he had uttered in the moment of his anger after the blow from the whip and his collision with the horse. His wish had been that for four and twenty hours he might be the Baron de Valparfond and the baron de Valparfond be Thibault, which now explained to him what had at first seemed inexplicable, why the unconscious man now lying in the road was dressed in his clothes and had his face. But I must not forget one thing, he said. That is that although I seem to be here, I am not really here, but lying out there. So I must be careful to see that during the twenty-four hours, during which I shall be imprudent enough to be away from myself, no irreparable harm comes to me. Come now. Monsieur de Valperfond, do not be so fastidious. Carry the poor man in and lay him gently on his bed there. And although, with his aristocratic instincts, Monsieur de Valperfond found the task very repugnant to him, Thibault nevertheless courageously took up his own body in his arms and carried himself from the road to the bed. Having thus placed the body in safety, he blew out the light for fear that any harm should come to his other self before he came to. Then, carefully locking the door, he hid the key in the hollow of a tree, where he was in the habit of leaving it when not wishing to take it with him. The next thing to do was to get hold of the horse's bridle and mount into the saddle. Once there, Thibault had a preliminary moment of some uneasiness, for, having travelled more on foot than on horseback, he was not an accomplished rider, and he naturally feared that he might not be able to keep his seat when the horse began to move. But it seemed that while inheriting Raoul's body he also inherited his physical qualities, for the horse being an intelligent beast and perfectly conscious of the momentary want of assurance on the part of his rider, made an effort to throw him, whereupon Thibault instinctively gathered up the reins, pressed his knees against the horse's sides, dug his spurs into them, and gave the animal two or three cuts of the whip, which brought it to order on the spot. Thibault, perfectly unknown to himself, was a past master in horsemanship 
This little affair with the horse enabled Thibault more fully to realize his duality. As far as the body was concerned, he was the Baron Raoul de Vauparfond, from top to toe, but as far as the spirit was concerned, he was still Thibault. It was therefore certain that the spirit of the young lord who had lent him his body was now sleeping in the form of the unconscious Thibault which he had left behind in the hut. The division of substance and spirit between himself and the baron, however, left him with a very vague idea of what he was going, or would have to do, that he was going to Montgobert in answer to the countess's letter, so much he knew, but what was in the letter? At what hour was he expected? How was he to gain admission to the castle? Not one of these questions could he answer, and it only remained for him to discover what to do step by step as he proceeded. Suddenly it flashed across him that probably the countess's letter was somewhere on his person. He felt about his dress, and sure enough inside the side pocket of his coat was something which by its shape seemed to be the article he wanted. He stopped his horse, and putting his hand into his pocket, drew out a little scented leather case lined with white satin. In one side of the case were several letters, in the other only one. No doubt the latter would tell him what he wanted to know if he could once get to read it. He was now only a short distance from the village of Fleury, and he galloped on hoping that he might find a house still lighted up. But villagers go to bed early in those days even earlier than they do now, and Thibault went from one end of the street to the other without seeing a single light. At last, thinking he heard some kind of movement in the stables of an inn, he called. A stable boy sallied out with a lantern, and Thibault, forgetting for the moment that he was a lord, said, "'Friend, could you show me a light for a moment? You would be doing me a service.' "'And that's what you go and call a chap out of bed for?' answered the stable boy rudely. "'Well,' You are a nice sort of young and you are. And turning his back on Thibault, he was just going to re-enter the stable when Thibault perceived that he had gone on a wrong tack. Now raised his voice, calling out, Look here, Sirrah, bring your lantern here and give me a light, or I'll lay my whip across your back. Ah, pardon, my lord, said the stable boy. I did not see who it was I was speaking to. And he immediately stood on tiptoe, holding the lantern up as Thibault directed him. Thibault unfolded the letter and read, my dear Raoul, the goddess Venus has certainly taken us under her protection. A grand hunt of some kind is to take place tomorrow out in the direction of Turi. I know no particulars about it. All I do know is that he is going away this evening. You, therefore, start at nine o'clock, so as to be here at half-past ten. Come in by the way you know. Someone whom you know will be awaiting you and will bring you, you know where. Last time you came, I don't mean to upbraid you, but it did seem to me you stayed a long time in the corridors. Jane. Devil take it, murmured Thibault. I beg your pardon, my lord, said the stable boy. Nothing, you lout, except that I do not require you any longer, and you can go. A good journey to you, my lord, said the stable boy, bowing to the ground, and he went back to his stable. Devil take it, repeated Thibault, the letter gives me precious little information except that we are under the protection of the goddess Venus and that he goes away this evening and that the Comtesse de Montgobert expects me at half-past ten and that her Christian name is Jane. As for the rest, I am to go in by the way I know. I shall be awaited by someone I know and taken where I know. Thibault scratched his ear, which is what everybody does in every country in the world when plunged into awkward circumstances. He longed to go and wake up the lord of Valparfond's spirit, which was just now sleeping in Thibault's body on Thibault's bed. 
but apart from the loss of time which this would involve it might also cause considerable inconvenience for the barren spirit on seeing its own body so near to it might be taken with the desire of re-entering it this would give rise to a struggle in which thibault could not well defend himself without doing serious harm to his own person some other way out of the difficulty must therefore be found he had heard a great deal about the wonderful sagacity of animals and had himself during his life in the country had occasion more than once to admire their instinct and he now determined to trust to that of his horse riding back into the main road he turned the horse in the direction of mont gobert and let it have its head the horse immediately started off at a gallop it had evidently understood thibault troubled himself no further it was now the horse's affair to bring him safely to his destination on reaching the corner of the park wall the animal stopped not apparently because it was in doubt as to which road to take but something seemed to make it uneasy and it pricked its ears at the same time thibault also fancied that he caught sight of two shadows but they must have been only shadows for although he stood up in his stirrups and looked all around him he could see absolutely nothing they were probably poachers he thought who had reasons like himself for wishing to get inside the park there being no longer anything to bar his passage he had only as before to let the horse go its own way and he accordingly did so the horse followed the walls of the park at a quick trot carefully choosing the soft edge of the road and not uttering a single neigh the intelligent animal seemed as if it knew that it must make no sound or at least as little sound as possible in this way they went along the whole of one side of the park and on reaching the corner the horse turned as the wall turned and stopped before a small breach in the same it's through here evidently said thibault that we have to go the horse answered by sniffing at the breach and scraping the ground with its foot thibault gave the animal the rein and it managed to climb up and through the breach over the loose stones which rolled away beneath its hoof horse and rider were now within the park one of the three difficulties had been successfully overcome thibault had got in by the way he knew it now remained to find the person whom he knew and he thought it wisest to leave this also to his horse the horse went on for another five minutes and then stopped at a short distance from the castle before the door of one of those little huts of rough logs and bark and clay which are built up in parks as painters introduce buildings into their landscapes solely for the sake of ornament on hearing the horse's hoofs someone partly opened the door and the horse stopped in front of it a pretty girl came out and asked in a low voice is it you monsieur raoul yes my child it is i answered thibault dismounting madame was terribly afraid that drunken fool of a champagne might not have given you the letter she need not have been afraid champagne brought it me with the most exemplary punctuality leave your horse then and come but who will look after it why cromoisy of course the man who always does ah yes to be sure said thibault as if these details were familiar to him cromoisy will look after it come come said the maid we must make haste or madame will complain again that we loiter in the corridors and as she spoke these words which recalled a phrase in the letter which had been written to raoul she laughed and showed a row of pearly white teeth and thibault felt that he should like to loiter in the park before waiting to get into the corridors then the maid suddenly stood still a moment with her head bent listening what is it asked thibault i thought i heard the sound of a branch creaking under somebody's foot very likely said thibault no doubt cromoisy's foot all the more reason that you should be careful what you do at all events out here i don't understand 
Do you not know that Cromoisy is the man I am engaged to? Ah, to be sure, but when I am alone with you, my dear Rose, I always forget that. I am called Rose now, am I? I never knew such a forgetful man as you, Monsieur Raoul. I call you Rose, my pretty one, because the Rose is the queen of flowers, and you are the queen of waiting-maids. In good truth, my lord, said the maid, I have always found you a lively, witty gentleman, but you surpassed yourself this evening. Thibault drew himself up, flattered by this remark. Really a letter addressed to the baron, but which it had fallen to the shoemaker to unseal. Let us hope your mistress will think the same, he said. As to that, said the waiting-maid, any man can make one of these ladies of fashion think him the cleverest and wittiest in the world simply by holding his tongue. Thank you, he said. I will remember what you say. Hush, said the woman to Thibault. There is madame behind the dressing-room curtains. Follow me now, steadily. For they had now to cross an open space that lay between the wooded part of the park and the flight of steps leading up to the castle. Thibault began walking towards the ladder. Now, now, said the maid, catching hold of him by the arm. What are you doing, you foolish man? What am I doing? Well, I confess, Zuzetta, I don't know in the least what I am doing. Suzetta? So that's my name now, is it? I think Monsieur does me the honor of calling me in turn by the name of all his mistresses. But come this way. You are not dreaming, I suppose, of going through the great reception rooms? That would give a fine opportunity to my lord the Count, truly. And the maid hurried Thibault towards a little door to the right of which was a spiral staircase. Halfway up, Thibault put his arm round his companion's waist, which was as slender and supple as a snake. "'I think we must be in the corridors now, eh?' he asked, trying to kiss the young woman's pretty cheek. "'No, not yet,' she answered, "'but never mind that.' "'By my faith,' he said, "'if my name this evening were Thibault instead of Raoul, I would carry you up with me to the garrets instead of stopping on the first floor.' At that moment a door was heard grating on its hinges. "'Quick, quick, monsieur,' said the maid. "'Madame is growing impatient.' And drawing Thibault after her, she ran up the remaining stairs to the corridor, opened a door, pushed Thibault into a room, and shut the door after him, firmly believing that it was the Baron Raoul de Parparfond, or as she herself called him, the most forgetful man in the world, whom she had thus secured. End of chapter 16 Recording by John Van Stan Savannah, Georgia It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.